At least the word is getting out. Well, today, W was worship. Uh, I, you missed one. All right, well, I, I, I recorded the first one. U, T, U, U. I forgot what U was. Ungodly. It was ungodly. Um, no, uh, worship. I finished up. No, X was last week. X was X-ray, how God looks on the heart. Uh, today, the why, I think somebody hollered it out last week, because you don't have a whole lot of choices for why. But the Bible is something good, uh, says something good about yielding. All right. Um, the Bible teaches us, uh, before we're saved in Ephesians 2, it tells us we're dead in trespasses and sins. Now, physically dead, we're all alive. But spiritually dead before Christ, you're, you're, you're spiritually dead, literally. So when we get saved, the Holy Spirit comes and abides in us. He gives us a new life. We're regenerated. We're transformed from the inside out. Okay, so we're, we're born again. We've got new life. So now, everybody in here who believes in Christ, truly is saved, you've got two natures indwelling your same body. You've got the what I call the Adamic nature. That's the word Adam. <laughs> Adam, the first created being. We've got the nature of Adam, the sinful nature. But then we've got the nature of God as well through the Holy Spirit living inside of us. So it is a daily struggle. It's a daily battle between the flesh and the spirit. Uh, Matthew 26, the next to the last verse, tells us, uh, watch and pray. These are the words of Jesus. Watch and pray that uh, 2641, I, I got ahead of myself. I don't know what I said. Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So that tells you inside of us there's there's a battle every day raging. And so the Spirit wants us to live for Christ and it wants to do things that we ought to be doing. Uh, he wants us to be spiritually strong, but yet we're weak. Why? Because of the flesh, the fleshly desires, uh, the things that, that we want to do. Um, you know, the old flesh would like to sleep in to about 11 or 12 o'clock every morning. And get up and eat donuts and coffee all day and all three meals a day. You know, I mean, I laugh and say that, but dude, there's nobody in this world that likes sweets as much as I do. I don't, I don't have a sweet tooth. I have sweet teeth, and may that may be also why I owe the dentist about three thousand dollars. But anyway, uh, so there's a fleshly side, but then there's a, the spiritual side that wants to do right. And even Paul battled this. If you read Romans chapter 7, you'll see he was about up to here with it. All right. So there's something inside of us that, that, that we need to recognize this and yield to Christ and yield to the things of God and yield to the Holy Spirit. So you think, well, what is the definition of yield? Well, if all of you like me, the first thing you think is a yield sign. All right. Everybody does. Like, but, you know, in Danville... People who see a yield sign and think it's a stop sign. Uh, it is. It is. It is. That is one of the worst. I agree. Stop. You have yep. to right away. Yep. Because you, okay, if you look, you, you come up, you have your own lane. Yep, you do. But now in Texas, I was surprised. Everybody knew how to blend in traffic. It was beautiful. If, if, if Dan oh, could just take it a lesson. Oh, maybe so. <laughs> All right. But what you do, and when I was in Texas, I was so impressed. You come up on a yield sign, 
all you've got to do is either, you know, if, if there's a car beside you, just ease off the gas, get right behind him, because the next car is going to do that. Or, uh, or I mean, it was just it was just beautiful. It was like music in motion. It was it was it was the, even though the streets were crazy, the layout of them was, traffic was not a problem ever. Because All right. People go and they 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 knew make what it to do. You can get in. They Here, knew what to do. They speed up <laughs> or slow down. Uh, so. All right, but thinking about that yield, what do you do? That means there's an action on your part. You either got to speed up or slow down. All right, so yielding, we would think, would be an action on our part. Well, yes and no. There's two actual definitions, two different words of yield in the, in the Bible, one in the Old Testament, one in the New Testament. So let's look at the first definition. To produce or to provide... And then, of course, in parentheses, I got a natural, agricultural, or industrial project. Uh, someone read Leviticus 26, 1 through 4. 5, I'm sorry. You shall make you no idols nor graven image, neither rear you up a standing image, neither shall ye set up any image of stone in your land to bow down unto it. For I am the Lord your God. Ye shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. You walk in my statues and keep my commandments and do Then I will give you the rain in due season, and the land shall yield her increase, and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. And your threshings shall reach into the vintage, and the vintage shall reach until the sowing time, and ye shall eat your bread to the full and dwell in your land safely. Okay, so the whole thing about here, and of course this is God speaking to the nation of Israel, and he's giving them a choice. You can either honor me, worship me, and I will bless you immensely. Uh, the things he, you know, don't make any idols. Don't make any graven images. Keep my Sabbaths. Reverence my sanctuary. If you do, keep my commandments, my statutes. And if you do, he says, I'll give you rain. The land shall yield her increase. Now, nowadays, nowadays, we run out of food. What do we do? We go to Walmart or we go to Aldi's uh, food line. Um, you go to you know, go pick up groceries. Back in the days, they didn't have Walmart. Uh, they may have been more blessed because of that. I don't know. <laughs> I'm teasing Teresa. Uh, <laughs> hey, we've always shopped at food line. I don't know why. It costs more, though. I know that. Uh, it's a lot closer. Yeah, it is. And you don't have to deal with the hassle. But anyway, you go to the store to pick up your groceries. Well, back in those days, you didn't have grocery stores, right? So you had to go plant, and you had to reap the harvest. And, and God, God's the one that, that, that gives the growth. God's the one that blesses. Mr. Motley said this year his tomato plants is as tall as he is, and they ain't got the first tomato on them. He's just broken hearted. And some people I've heard his tomato plants are falling over for whatever reason. All right, so God is the one that gives it. He gives the sun, he gives the rain, he gives everything. So the Lord said, look, if you do this, the land shall yield her increase. The trees of the field shall yield their fruit. Um, so let's, let's read on, let's read uh, six through nine. And I will give peace in the land and you shall lie down and none shall make you afraid. I will rid evil beasts out of the land, neither shall the sword or the enemy really go through your land. 
You shall chase your enemies, and they shall fall before you uh, by the sword. And five of you shall chase a hundred, and a hundred of you shall put ten thousand to flight. And your enemies shall fall bef uh, before you by the sword. And I will have respect unto you, and make you fruitful, and multiply you, and establish my covenant with you. Now, I know that's a lot, but I want you to understand what the Lord was saying is, if you honor me, I will honor you. If you honor me and worship me, I will bless you. And so, if you do this... I mean, and it was serious, man. Again, uh, there's a lot of things that we think is necessary in life. You know, if our air condition goes out, uh, no, no pun intended, uh, their, their neighbor's house got struck by lightning and their air has been on their fence for a while, but I heard it finally got approved. So, uh, so you know, thank goodness for portable units and all that, right? But even air in, in is, not a, is not a necessity. I mean, now I love it. I got to have it nowadays. <laughs> I want it. But it's not. Car, even transportation is not a necessity. Now, I guess it is if you work in a job and all this. But the things you have to have, you have to have air. You have to have food. You have to have water. <laughs> now, you take any of those away, sooner or later, you're going to die. Um, food was serious. If you don't, I mean, you don't have no grocery store. So God was the one that blessed you. And so the yield uh, blessed you with food. Blessed the crops. So the yield, the, the farming, God said, I will let it yield what you've planted. So there's, there's a lot of biblical, uh, in the Bible, there's a lot of farming illustrations that help us to realize something. Well, there's a law of, of I guess, agriculture. You reap what you sow. Now, physically, you reap what you sow. If you plant a tomato plant, you're not going to have squash on that plant. If you, <laughs> uh, if you, if you plant tomato, I mean, potatoes under the ground, you're not going to dig up tomatoes. Uh, man, who said that? Man, ain't nothing better than a good homegrown tomato. Yeah, well, my kids don't need it either. They need to, but man, I tell you. Uh, she says, you're going to reap what you sow. Not only physically, but you're also going to reap what you sow spiritually. Um, Matthew 7, 16, these are the words of the Lord. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? In other words, you go to the grape vine, you want to, you got to go not to the briar bush to get grapes. You go to the grape vine to get grapes. You don't go to the, the thorn bush and grab figs. My uncle's got a fig tree. And I should have put him on a prayer list. He's, he's, he may lose some more of his foot. He's a bad diabetic. And I've got to take him Wednesday to get a kidney stone crushed. But anyway, long story short, is he's got a fig tree out there. And since the doctor told him to stay off his feet, hoping it would heal, I've been helping mow his grass some. And he's got the biggest fig tree out there, man. Them things are on there, and they're starting to, they're starting to get bigger and bigger. And it ain't going to be long, them things are going to ripen up. I'm going to go with me a grocery bag. <laughs> but it's a fig tree. It ain't a thorn bush. So in other words, you got you go reap what you sow. Verse 17, even though, so every tree bringeth forth good, uh, good, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. So in other words, you're going you're gonna to reap what you sow. You're going to produce uh, Hosea 8, 7. You have sown the wind, and you shall reap the whirlwind. 
So when you reap, you'll always reap later than what you sowed, and you'll reap more than what you sowed. Uh, let's stay on the type of, of tomatoes since Brianna likes them so much. Uh, <laughs> you plant a tomato, uh, tomato vine, and if you're blessed, you may get a dozen or more tomatoes off of that. Uh, you go, but it ain't going to be instantaneous. It's going to come later, and you're going to get a lot more than what you sowed. Uh, you sow a little tomato slip, and you're going to get, maybe if you're lucky, a dozen or so. All right? So you're going to reap later than what you sow. So a lot of people in this world today that thinks they're, they can get away with all this evil garbage that they've done. They're, they're trying to pass a bill now. It makes you sick on the stomach, but I know God's got this, and I'm going to trust God. They're trying to pass a bill now that you can take a baby's life up to 28 days after delivery. Infanticide. 28 days after birth. Hey, hey. I, I just don't yeah, it is, it is murder, April. And God, God. How do you get around if the United no. States keep going this way, it will fall. It will uh, fall, and justifiably so, in I God's mean, eyes. It doesn't make any sense to me. But Mom, when you get old, they're going to pass the law to get rid of you. Absolutely. That's next. Say, that's that's next. next. That's next. Yeah, if you can, if you can kill the baby, you will kill the senior adult. Yep. Exactly. Um, they're no good society. Yep, they're just a burden. They're just a burden. They're just there to take your money and go off government money. But so when the people think they're getting away with their sin... They will see they reap later than they sow. They reap more than they sow, and it'll be too late. Um, Galatians 6, 9, and here's, here's the good type of, 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 of reaping and sowing. Let us not be weary in will, well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Um, that's okay. So uh, if you do wrong, you're going to reap the crop. But if you do right, you're also going to reap the crop. That's why... That's why every week we have Sunday school, Sunday morning, sometimes Sunday night, Wednesday nights, VBS, little kids camp we had this week. Uh, we're doing all these things not to try to just occupy people's time and keep them out of trouble. We're trying to just constantly give everybody a steady, nutritious diet of the Word of God. You eat three times a day, right? And hopefully you eat right. Uh, why? To get that nutrition. Well, that's the same way of God. So um, you just keep feeding it because if, you, if you're reaping good seed, you're going to get a good harvest. So when it comes to praying for people, don't ever get tired and give up because you shall reap if you faint not. Don't ever give up on somebody, even though it's the human nature to want to pull your hair out. I've been praying to them and talking to them for years. They have never responded. The devil will say, they're not going to respond. You might as well stop. That's not what this verse says. Don't be weary and well-doing. You shall reap if you faint not. Keep on keeping on. Um, so that's the first definition of yield, to produce something. All right? And there's a little, I almost skipped this one. But then I was sitting there having lunch, and the Lord spoke to me and said, man, look, dude, a lot of our lives is about sowing and reaping. All right. Now, the second definition of yield that I thought was more applicable is to give up possession of or own claim or demand or simply to surrender. Now, here's where our visual illustrations comes off, coming off of the acceleration ramp. <laughs> you either 
got to let off the gas and let the car go by you. You're yielding up your position uh, or surrendering. Um, so I guess uh, in battle, if you wave the white flag, you're yielding, you're surrendering, you're giving up. Well, this is the one where we realize that there's two, two natures inside of us. There, I guess you could say the evil nature and the good nature, or the fleshly nature and the spiritual nature, however you want to say it. So Paul writes a lot about this, and I think it's really poetic. It's, it's really funny how the way—it's not funny. It's, it's sovereign the way the Bible's written. The Lord addresses this in uh, Romans 6. Paul addresses this in Romans 6 about yielding yourself to God. Romans 7 is where he reaches the pinnacle of his frustration when he says, now I'm paraphrasing, the things that I want to do, I don't do. The things that I don't want to do, that's what I end up doing. Who can deliver me? He says, finally, oh, wretched man that I am. This is Paul, the writer of over half the New Testament. He's at his wit's end. Oh, wretched man that I am, who can deliver me from the body of this flesh? He's tired. That's in Romans 7. So he writes this in Romans 6, knowing what he needs to do. Romans 7, he finally reaches to the point where I'm almost ready to give up, throw in the towel and surrender myself because I'm tired of fighting this battle. Then Romans 8 is, what well, I, you know, y'all know me, the greatest chapter in all of Scripture. In my, I, I mean, not the greatest, most powerful. It doesn't tell you how to be saved. But it tells you what happens once you are saved. You want to give up in Romans 7. But by the time Romans 8, you realize it ain't, it ain't dependent on me no way. It's dependent on what God done for us. Um, I saw a man this week uh, dying of cancer. Uh, if the Lord doesn't intervene, he probably don't have much time left. It's Miss Audrey uh, Moss's brother. Um, he's got esophageal cancer. Uh, it's gonna spread to his bones and all that. He he don't even know if he'll take treatment. Um, and you know, I went to talk to him about his soul, make sure he's right with the Lord. And and he said, you know, preacher, I I, yeah, I trusted the Lord years ago. He said, when I was a kid here at Riverview, he said, and and I'm not always doing what I was supposed to do. He said, I've got a lot of regrets and a lot of failures. And this is what he said. He said, but I realize I'm not holding on to God. He's holding on to me. And I thought that's exactly right. So Paul realizes that, realizes that in Romans eight, where we get so frustrated with ourselves because the things we do want to do we don't, the things we don't want to do we do because of that fleshly nature. And then Romans eight, you finally realize, thank God my walk with Him is not up to us; <laughs> it's up to Him. Amen. And so let's look at Romans six though. And I can finish this in five minutes if I'll, I'll read fast if you listen fast. So Paul's talking about uh, reckoning yourselves to be dead, to sin. So talking about the old nature, the fleshly nature. Likewise, reckon yourselves also to be dead indeed into sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Write somewhere on this, on your paper, write Ephesians 2.20. No, I'm sorry. Galatians 2.20. Look it up. Uh, I, I am crucified with Christ. Christ. Now, Galatians 2.20. It is Galatians. Okay, Galatians 2.20. All right, so write Galatians 2.20. Paul writes it. He says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. 
And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Yes, that's a lot to learn, but I've made myself learn it over the last few years. Literally, Paul says he's got to understand that his old nature, his old life is crucified with Christ. He's alive now, but he's not alive for himself. He's alive for Christ. Galatians 2.20. All right. So, again, this is where Paul's writing from. He says, Reckon yourselves to be dead into sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Now, the word reign, I've read this before, but yesterday that word reign jumped out at me. You think of a king sitting on a throne over a kingdom. He's got the final say-so. And he's got the only say-so that really matters. So we, what he's saying to us, you know, sin's going to come into our lives, but we can't let it take the throne. We can't let it control us. Uh, it's going to come. And I've said oftentimes, it's one thing to slip into sin. It's another thing to enjoy it and swim in it. Okay? I've said so many times, book of Proverbs, a righteous man falleth seven times and rises up again. I truly believe God knows we're going to fall, and he's not so much concerned about how many times we fall as how many times we're going to get back up. So don't let it be your king. Don't let it be your master. Don't let it reign, okay? Um, verse 13, neither yield, here we go, your members, your body, as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God, that those who are, that are alive from the dead as your members are instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. So I don't want to get caught up in that last verse because I could probably really run a rabbit trail with that. But let, let, let's go back to yielding your members. Okay? We have uh, five senses. Touch, taste, smell, see, and feel. Yes, hear. Thank you. Thank you, Teresa. I knew I won't write on that. Hear, see, smell, taste, and feel. Uh, that was feel. Uh, so, literally, literally, you're trying to trick me up, ain't you? <laughs> Go get you a tomato. Uh, <laughs> and uh, uh, so it's five senses, five inputs to our body, five gateways, I guess you can say, to your body. And you've got to be sure we're careful with those. Yes, we've got to be careful what we see. That's why I hate, I hate Facebook. I do. I despise it. If it was not for the church and for using it for good purposes, man, I, man, it, it's just awful. There's some good purposes, but there's a lot of bad purposes out there too. And you can see the bad stuff when you're actually looking for the good stuff. I mean, Facebook allows me to keep up with people. Uh, either I went to school with, I'll keep up with somebody you know, like like Richard. I knew when Richard Walt was at a surgery the other day because the Nay had posted it on there. So I knew. He, so it's good, but it's also so bad. So yield your members. Watch what you look at. Watch what you listen to. Watch what comes out of your mouth. Watch all. The, yield your. Watch where you go with your feet. You touch with your hands. Yield. Yield your. So it's surrender them to God. Um, I hope Miss Miss Cindy don't mind me saying this, but Miss Cindy told me before she got saved, she went into some bad places. She used to go into the bars, but now she'd be the last person to go into a bar. Why, Lord saved her, gave her a new beginning. 
and she's using her feet now to walk about 14 miles fixing food for kids this past week. <laughs> and uh, JR was bragging. JR's like, we, I mean, what day was it? It was Thursday. We was running after them little kids. JR's like, oh, we've walked 11,000 steps. And that was, that, was, that was calculated into like four miles. JR was bragging. Cindy's like, JR had 11,000 miles. Cindy's like, well, I've got like 16,000 steps. Not 11,000 miles, 11,000 steps. Miss Cindy's like, I've got 16,000 or whatever it was. So now she's using her feet to do something for the Lord. And what she did the other day was just as important as anything. Them kids, man, I've never seen kids eat that much in my life. They had like four snacks oh, during the oh, day. Golly, man. Those kids, I think they do. Those kids ate more than I did. It's crazy. You have like three or four snack times, and they're still like, I'm hungry. All right, it's crazy. Ate like 20 minutes ago. <laughs> so yield your, your bodies under that. All right, and for time purposes, you can take these home. Let's just jump down to 19. I speak after the manner of men because of the weakness of your flesh. That's what the word infirmity means. Weakness of your flesh. For as you have yielded your members' servants to uncleanliness and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield your members of servants to righteousness and to holiness. In other words, she said, all those before you were saved, you did, you used your members and your body to serve the flesh and to serve the evil, the unrighteousness. But now that you are saved, use your members for the good. All right. Um, and so, again, looking back at Ephesians 20, you know, excuse me, Matthew 26, 41, that's a daily battle for us. Will we ever get victory over this? Not in life. <laughs> We will with our glorified bodies that won't have that fleshly nature no more. It's a daily battle. And like I said, y'all heard me say it before, the fella I, the person I have the most trouble with in life is that rascal looking back at me in the mirror. Um, so last one, Ephesians 4.21, If so be that ye have heard of him and have been taught by him as truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation, that word conversation means conduct, Put off the old man, which is corrupt according to deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Renewed in the spirit. Also, write down in it, write Romans 12, verse 1 and 2. Sorry. <laughs> Tricked you. Romans 12, 1 and 2. It talks about being renewed in the spirit of your mind. Folks, the battle that we fight every day it really originates in the mind. Ephesians 6 also tells us we wrestle not with flesh and blood, but against powers, principalities, rulers of darkness. So how do we get to victory? Over using those senses, those inputs to put in good stuff. It does matter what you listen to on the radio. It does matter what you... Yeah, you get, huh? If you don't expose yourself, yeah, absolutely. to decrease any kind of temptation. You don't expose I'll close with this. Old farmer one time was ra raising fighting roosters. And some guy come by one day was just enamored about, you know, how these roosters, how they trained these roosters and these roosters fought even to their death. And the old farmer told the young boy, he said, look, he said, I can look at them two roosters. Even though they look the same, about the same size, he said, I can look right now and tell you which rooster's going to win this fight. He said, how do you do that? He said, the one I fed the most this week. That's a good illustration. If you feed the flesh, he's going to win every time. If you feed the spirit, he's going to feed the spirit. So, anyway, Nathan, close us in prayer, brother. Okay, I'll pray for the day, Lord. 
Lord, I want to thank you for this time we've had together to be able to dive into your word, Lord, to be able to glean something from it and be able to improve on our lives through it, Lord. We pray now, Lord, to go to the 11 o'clock service with your brother Bill Johnson today, Lord, that you would give the words you have to speak. And if anybody that knows your Lord and Savior, Lord, they make that sure before it's turned too late. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen. Well, we started this a while back on A, and today we, we come to the letter Z. And can I say this was the hardest letter yet to figure out? You would think X, because I kind of cheated on X with X-ray, or Q, or something like that would be hard, but I do not know what the Z, and I knew there was the word zeal in here. Of course, and there's, there's I guess, plural words of, uh, of zeal. There's different um, I guess longer from zealot to zealous to different things, but I was trying to do something different. I don't know why I didn't want to go here, but anyway, I, the more I studied, I realized well this is a a good topic. Um, so to start, well, let's look at what the 1828 Webster's Dictionary says: Zeal is a passionate ardor and the pursuit of anything. Me and my simple mind, I had him look at what ardor means. <laughs> it just means hot felt or something. What we would say is kind of like passion maybe um a fervency about it um you know we can be passionate about a lot of different things uh sports uh careers um retirement uh it can be passionate about anything but zeal and it kind of falls in line with that a passionate order and pursuit of anything in general zeal is an eagerness of desire to accomplish or obtain some object that it may be manifested in either in favor of any person or thing or in opposition to it or in, excuse me, and in a good or bad cause. So there's good zeal and there's bad zeal, um, just like everything. Um, I know everybody who's seen the Chosen series and, or even studied the New Testament. You remember there is a disciple called uh, Simon the Zealot. Uh, he was a zealous guy, and he actually hated government. He hated the Roman officials. So he was trained literally in, in, in I guess, espionage and uh, spying and fighting and mercenaries. Uh, he hated anything to do with taxation and with the Roman government and all that. Uh, they kind of pulled this out a little bit in this series. Of course, I don't, I don't know who all have seen all the series. But I read it in a book one time. The greatest book I've ever read so far is, is called Twelve Ordinary Men by John MacArthur. It's talking about the disciples. How God used twelve ordinary men. He breaks it down. He said, really stop thinking about it. God breaks the twelve disciples down into four groups of three. And God has to have a sense of humor. I mean, number one, he made all of us, right? <laughs> uh, God put Simon the Zealot in the same three-person group as Matthew the tax collector. <laughs> and uh, they end up getting along because of what the, the uh, same common denominator for the love of God. Um, so zeal can be something, and, and, not, and there is good zeal, again, there is bad zeal. Uh, I'll look at Austin right now, who's finally decided what he wants to try to do with his life and in an area. He's zealous. I mean, he'll read anything, study anything he can do to try to work his way up and get all of his certifications and hopefully get hired on by the city. 
uh, as a fireman. Uh, some of you finishing um, uh, as, well, Amber just finished up her last class last week. She was zealous to hurry up and finish and move on to the next chapter. Uh, uh, you know, we, you know, zealous uh, is, is part of it can be good and part of it can be, can be bad too. Um, so uh, let's look at the, maybe two of the mentions uh, of, of good zeal. And I've called this the spirit-filled zeal. Uh, this is speaking of, of Jesus himself. After this, he went down to Capernaum, he and his mother and his brethren and his disciples, and continued there not many days. Uh, so in other words, it was a short stay. And the Jews' Passover was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem, and he found in the temple those that had sold oxen and sheep and doves, and the changers of money sitting. Uh, and when he had made a small a scourge of uh, small cords, he drove them out of the temple, and the sheep and the oxen, he poured out the changers' money and overthrew the tables. And said unto the doves, uh, them that sold doves, Take these things hence, make not my father's house a house of merchandise. Now in the Old Testament, you know, you had to have animal sacrifices, okay? And um, it was very common that they would sell, if, you know, if, if you were traveling a long ways away, it'd be hard, you know, to bring a, an animal sacrifice with you because you had to bring it alive and kill it there at the tabernacle. So, it, but if you had a long ways to travel, what you could do is you could buy one in the vicinity and, and let that be sacrificed. Um, so this was not uncommon, but what Jesus here, I think, is, is really um, rebuking is that the people who were selling the oxen and the sheep and the doves were asking outrageous price. They were there to make a, a big profit. It's the same thing as when you go into an amusement park and you go to buy lunch or supper. Oh, my goodness. This is no joke. I think we were either in Kings of Men or Carowinds. I can't remember. We went two years back to back when the kids were smaller and they loved to do stuff like that. You know, Chick-fil-A here. Shout out to Nate. <laughs> Nate's like, oh, man, don't bring that up. Well, Chick-fil-A here, me and a man and the kids could go eat for 30 bucks, right? 30, 35 bucks. In the same park, we got less food and it was 80-something the reason they know is they know you're not going to leave and fight all that traffic to get out and to get back in. Not, they've got you. They're going to take advantage of you. I mean, seriously, we all four of us could get combos. We could get sandwich or, or nuggets and fries and drink. All four of us, 35 bucks. There, I think we ended up getting two drinks. I think we may have had a bottle of water or something. We had two drinks, two sandwiches. Two nuggets and two fries. It's like eighty-five bucks. It's like they, they got you. They got. They were taking advantage. I believe this is what the same thing was happened here. They were using the Lord's house for a profit, um, and so literally, Jesus becomes upset. He becomes angry. So I'm tired of hearing people say being angry is a sin. No, the Bible says be angry and sin not. We should be mad about some stuff. What's going on in the country right now should make you mad. You know, I think I mentioned to y'all last week they're trying to pass a bill that you can take a baby's life up to 28 days after birth. <clears throat> now, that's just in one particular state. That's not a nationwide thing, but still. That'd be poison. I don't know. I, don't, I forgot where it was. I read it. I don't know. 
Uh, man, it's a shame. Yes. Shame I didn't shoot that plane down with her the other day. But anyway, uh, <laughs> um, you know, anger. I mean, we should be angry about certain things. All right. Well, um, don't get me wrong. I don't want the pilots to die. I just want them to jump out and parachute out and they can take place. Yeah. Like the guy in Raleigh. <laughs> What's that? Like the guy in Raleigh. I didn't hear about that. The guy had landing gear uh, issues. He was going to have to make a crash land. Mm. His co-pilot opened the door and bailed out. They found him somewhere in a carry in a tree. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Huh. Instead of going down with the ship and hoping, you know, something to work out, the guy landed safely, but he bailed out. Co-pilot bailed out a long time ago. Oh, my goodness. Don't shoot on it. I found him in a tree somewhere in a carry. He didn't have a shoot on? No, he just jumped. <laughs> I believe How's I, turn I believe I would have took my chances. Great. <laughs> 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 caught the sound of him hitting the hitting it on their ring camera, <laughs> like it was the loudest thud I've ever heard. Good land. Did you say he lived? No, he died. Oh, okay. <laughs> I thought y'all were saying he lived. I did too, Nathan. Okay, man. <laughs> yeah. Good land. <laughs> <laughs> he hits and lands on the shield and flips. Um, uh, but you know, you know, uh, I can honestly say this: I can't stand Nancy Pelosi, but that that old woman is one heartbeat away from hell. And as old as she is, she does not realize that. But the Lord's Lord's got her here for a purpose, and so I, I trust I trust God that this this is God's will is being done, folks, whether we like it or not. It's uncomfortable. It makes us. Uh, concern, or at least you ought to be, but it's part of God's plans. But remember, we're God's children. He's going to take care of us, okay? But so it's okay to be angry. Well, Jesus literally makes the, the scourge of small cords. He drives them out. He says, uh, take these things hence, make not my father's house a house of merchandise. Why? Because the Lord said his house should be a house of prayer, not a house of profit. That's why our church's bottom line is never a dollar, never will be a dollar. At least this one won't as long as I'm here. It'll be about a soul. It'll be about lives. It'll be about people. Was the disciples remembered that what was written, the zeal of thine house has eaten me up. Lord. So the Lord was zealous. He was passionate about the church and the worship and the prayer and the purposes of, of the church. Um we should be passionate about what takes place at this house as we serve the Lord. Uh, looking at so that's the good kind of zeal. Um, Titus two eleven. Someone read that for me. God to bring us salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us to deny ungodliness and worldly worldly lust. We should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Gave himself for us that he might redeem us for all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. So we are saved by God's grace. Salvation is through by faith alone, through grace through grace alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone. Nothing more, nothing less. Literally, we're saved by faith, by his grace, through faith in him. Alright? So he's teaching us. 
we're to deny the ungodliness and the worldly lust. We should live soberly or serious-minded, righteous and godly. And we look for that blessed hope. What is that? The, the appearing of Jesus Christ um, and our Savior Jesus Christ, uh, of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us. He might redeem us from all iniquity and purify himself a peculiar people. That word peculiar doesn't mean we're odd or we're weird. The peculiar people, that word actually is like a special people that God purposely picked out. So God chose you for a reason, for a purpose. Um, and we are to be zealous of good works. Um, there's, a, there's a church over town. Heck, I'll mention it. I don't care. I'll get in trouble anyway. But the, uh, the union, I don't even call it a church, okay? It is no doctrinal teachings there. They preach a feel-good message, uh, but it's, 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 it's almost like a carbon copy of the world. You can go act and do and whatever you want to. But the one thing I can say about the, that, that establishment or that group is they go to out in the community and do a lot of, a lot of good works. Uh, they help a lot of people. Um, I just wish they, I mean, that is good. that's being good morally, okay? But you've got to understand what God's word says. You've got to live a holy life. How many times have you ever heard me say, God's not worried, concerned about your happiness. He's concerned about your holiness. Because I know in at least three, uh, three occasions in the Bible, it says, be ye holy, for I am holy. Uh, we're to be like Christ. All right? But when you say you love people, you know, the word charity means it's love and action. So the Lord saved us. He, we're a specifically chosen people, and we're to be zealous of those good works. Not that the good works do anything for us or merit us favor with God. And I, I've said it like this, and it just come back to me many times. Works does not produce salvation, but true salvation does produce works. So you work not to be saved. You're saved so you can go out and do good things to help people. So that's the good kind of zeal. Uh, that is based upon Jesus and his work. Um, now there's a self-filled zeal. All right. The, th the, one, the one thing that really separates true Christianity from any other religion in the world is most religions tell are merit-based. You have to do this. You have to do that. You have to do up the other. You have to do, it's almost like it's teaching, you have to clean up your act. You have to stop cursing. You have to uh, start going to church. You have to start putting money in the offer plate. You've got to start doing charitable deeds. You've you got to, to buy do your way in. In a sense, and it's, it's all merit-based. It would be like, it'd be like the football season's coming up pretty quick. I used to love it. But now... You know, hey, you want a starting job, you've got to earn it. You know, you've got to put in the time and earn it and work your way up the ladder. Businesses teach us that. Corporate business teach you got to work your way up to the top of the ladder. So a lot of people look, and a lot of religious teach us what you've got to do. It's merit-based. Salvation is mercy-based. What other religions teach us we have to do, true Christianity shows you that Christ has done everything for us. We just, by faith... Come to him. We repent from our sin and have faith in Jesus Christ. That's what really saves us. 
I made this I made this comment on a radio broadcast that'll be airing tonight. The only thing that me or you contributed to our salvation was the sin that needed to be forgiven. That's it. Uh, so Jesus did it all. Uh, what's it all? Oh, him. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin and left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. So understand there is um, a, a self-filled zeal that kind of wants some take some credit for maybe what God has done. Um, Acts 21.7, And when they were come to Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly, and the day following Paul went in with us uh, with us unto James and the elders which were present. And when he had saluted them, he declared particularly the things that God had wrought among the Gentiles by his ministry. Now remember, Paul was, was the evil man Saul who thought he was doing God a favor by persecuting those who, uh, who, who came to him by, by faith instead of by works. Because the Old Testament, the Jews were, all had the law, the Ten Commandments, then the other 600 and however how many laws. I mean, it was a bunch. <laughs> It was it was a ton, um, so, but Jesus said, "Hey, salvation is through me." But Paul goes goes to the Gentiles and he starts preaching. You're not saved by the law; you're saved by faith in Christ and what He did on the cross. So, Paul was telling him, "You know, hey, uh, look at what God had done to the Gentiles." And when they heard it, uh, they glorified the Lord and said unto Him, "Thou seest, brother, how many thousands of Jews." There are which believe, and they are all zealous of the law. And they are informed of thee that thou teachest all the Jews which are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, saying that they ought not to circumcise their children, nor to walk after the, after the customs. Now, this is a lot here, and I'm going to try to simplify it the best way I can. There were some Jews who were really angry at Paul because Paul started going to preach the gospel of Jesus to the Gentiles. The Jews, yes, they were God's chosen people in the Old Testament. God gave them the law and pretty much said, this is the way I want you to live. Okay, can we keep the law? No, there's no No human beings ever kept the law. Because the book of James says if you broke one, you're guilty of breaking them all. What the law was there for, all those 613 commandments, what the law was there for is to show you that you can't do it. There's got to be a better way. And when Jesus come, he said, I am fulfilling all the law. Place your faith in me. That's all you got to do. Okay. So there were some Jews who were angry at Paul saying, Paul, um, these, these Jews are zealous of the law. They were passionate. They were fervent about keeping those laws. And they were mad at Paul because they said, Paul's going um, to the Jews and the Gentiles to say, just, just forget what Moses said. You don't even need to circumcise your children nor walk after the after the customs. So they were zealous, and all the law was was a merit-based religion. Simply put. And there's still so many churches teaching merit-based things. Ephesians 2 8 9 says, For by grace are you saved through faith. You know, if we could work our way to heaven, why did Jesus have to die? Stop and think about it. How simple is that? So they were, these people were zealous of the law. There's many churches out there that are dying every week because they're zealous about their traditions. They don't want to change anything. We've always done it this way. Now, I've got a friend that uh, his church today is celebrating 23 years. Uh, he started the church. They've been there for 23 years now. 
And I was sitting there thinking about him today, and I think, well, we got 75 years, and and how much how much things uh, have I just seen change here at Riverview in the last eight? Uh, I mean, because our church was pretty steeped in in tradition <laughs> a couple years ago before I got here, it was bad. Um, but understanding, we're here for truth, not tradition, uh, and it's not a merit-based salvation. It is a relationship. I think somebody put it on Facebook today. I think I liked it. I had just a few minutes this morning to kill. It said, religion is sitting in church thinking about fishing, but a relationship is out fishing while you're thinking about God. <laughs> I thought that's pretty pretty cool. It's what, what, my, what occupies the mind. So this was a zealous of the law. It was a merit-based religion. All right, so that's a bad kind. 1 Corinthians 4.12 tells us that. For even so, for as much as you are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek that ye may excel to the edifying of the church. Wherefore, let him that speaketh in an unknown tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth, but my understanding is unfruitful. Now, this may open up a can of worms, but let's go back to speaking in tongues. Okay, I honestly believe if you read Acts chapter 2, with all my heart, I believe, Acts chapter 1 and chapter 2, tongues is being able to speak the gospel in a different language. Now, I know Teresa come from a holiness church, and she has probably experienced that many times and seen it many times. There's a lot of different churches that still believe in it. I'm not going to condemn them. I just don't see the need. I had a lady, it was, it was a genuine lady. She asked me one time, do I believe in speaking tongues? I said, well, ma'am, I do honestly believe, because if you, if you really study what Acts chapter number 1 says, all those Jews that were in Jerusalem had all these dialects, and when the Holy Spirit was sent, all of a sudden they started preaching in a different dialect. Everybody understood the gospel. So the tongues is not about the person speaking in tongues. It's about those who need to hear the gospel in a different tongue. I thought maybe you speak to God. Well, he hears it, is what I've always heard. You don't always have and to that's interpret. what that lady asked me. And that's what Well, and that's what that lady asked me. She was a nice lady. She said, Do you believe in speaking tongues? I said, No, I believe it's a language. She said, Well, have you ever tried praying in tongues? Mm -hmm. I bit my tongue because you know me, I can be kind of a smart aleck at times. <laughs> I almost said, Last time I checked, God could understand English. <laughs> but I didn't. Well, that's very true. <laughs> I didn't. But, uh, uh, To be very careful, a lot of people would do stuff like this to put on a show. If you, if, I don't know, I, I, I know I'm, I, I, sometimes I get carried away. I watch clips from other churches. Man, there's clips out there that I'm thinking, man, the Lord Jesus Christ ain't nowhere near that mess. Oh, the, 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 the miraculous healing. Oh, dude. Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, they, they, they. <laughs> This is not a joke. They showed this one video a while back. I think it was on Twitter or something. Twitter's the only social media that, to me, is worth any count. But Because uh, you could choose who you follow on that. But there was one guy uh, that's walking in the aisles. This, this man had a, had a suit coat. And as he went by, he swung his suit coat and hit people, and they were falling out. With his coat? Yeah. Hit people, and, and I'm like, you know, come on. And the guy walking in front of him. They were, they, 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 they were videoed it. The guy walking in front of him was telling people, Fall out because they oh knew the camera. God, it's like, man, come on, on, man. I mean, I mean, literally, there's videos. If you really want to, if you really want to watch some stuff, there's people like 
supposedly they get slain in the spirit and they start jumping around and laughing hysterically and barking like dogs. Dude, to me, that's demon possession. Yeah. That, that's demon oppression stuff, man. It, it, it's crazy. But that's the world we're living in, too. People are drawn to theatrics and mess like that. Um, but what, what Paul was saying here, though, is there are some that were zealous of, of spiritual gifts. They wanted the gift of healing or the gift of tongues or the gift of prophecy along like that. And you got to be careful because, you know, in our church that really doesn't have it, and I'm thankful for it, there's, there's such a thing called spotlight hounds is what I've always called them. Mm-hmm. People who want to play a role just to get the attention. And um, they're zealous of those things so they can get the credit. Well, the only one that deserves credit in any ministry is the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. He's the only one that's done anything um, that's worthy of praise. And so Paul was, again, that's a self-filled zeal. There was, Paul says, look, if you speak in an unknown tongue, uh, you know, pray that it may interpret. Now, I do believe it would be like if we had a guy, and, and we, we, I don't know if we've had it here, but I was in a church one time. We had a guy, missionary, um, who spoke Spanish, right? And we had an interpreter. The thing I didn't understand is when he got through, he actually said a few words in English, but maybe his English was just not that good or something, so he spoke so there's interpreter. I'd be like me if the Lord ever, for whatever. I have no desire to go across the big pond over to the other place. But if He ever were to open the door and tell me to go, unless He gave me the gift of tongues right there, so I could speak the gospel in some foreign language, I would have to have an interpreter. Um, so, but what Paul said, uh, it's to edify the church, and so be careful for that uh, uh, spirit, self-willed zeal. And then the last one. Galatians 1.11, I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which is preached of me is not after man, for I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is Paul talking about, remember, he killed Christians, the Lord saved him. Then, you know, at one time, only the saved hated Paul, right? Because he was catching them and beating them and throwing them in prison. Well, when Paul gets saved, everybody hated him. The Christians hated him because they thought he was pretending, and the religious crowd hated him because he had turned their back, his back on them. So nobody really wanted to have anything to do with Paul, other than Barnabas. And Paul goes off, and we don't know whatever he did, but the Lord taught him what he needed to know. Verse thirteen: For you have heard of my conversation in times pa- con- uh, conversation, uh, it's conduct in times past in the Jews' religion. How that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it, and it profited in the Jews' religion above many equals in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. So, let me give you that before I break your pen. (laughs) Um, So, Paul was saying, look, I was zealous after what I had been taught. I was zealous after traditions and, and customs. But verse 15 says, But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the heathen, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood, neither when I went up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and returned again unto Damascus. So Paul's talking about being zealous, and he really was about the law. He was a Pharisee. He was probably a member of the Sanhedrin, which is the Supreme Court of the Pharisees. 
He was zealous of the traditions, and God blinded him and said, hey, boy, you're going down the wrong path. And then Paul said, look, <clears throat> I went not to be teached of the apostles, not to be teached of anybody in Jerusalem. He said, I went into Arabia. I got alone with the Lord and let the Lord teach me. Um, and so, again, that is a self-filled zeal. So everything we should do should not be for selfish motives or for uh, spotlight or for any other thing. Everything we should do is bring honor and glory to Jesus Christ and for what he's done. And I can tell y'all are zealous because y'all are here for Sunday school. <laughs> yeah, uh, we'll have preaching. We'll have communion tonight. We'll have Wednesday night service. We have things going on. Zealous of the good works, of the works of the Lord. So um, that brings us to the end of this semester. So I guess we'll start the next one later. It only took us a couple years. It only took us a couple years. Oh, man, look at me. Spilling coffee all over myself now. Uh, uh, I forgot about the book. Well, while I clean up my mess, I'm going to ask Nathan if he can close your prayer. Heavenly Father, pray for this day. Lord, I just want to thank you for allowing us to be able to come here together, Lord, be able to uh, study your word, Lord, and learn something from the Lord, and help us to have some more zeal in our life, Lord, towards you and in all the things we do, Lord. We pray now for the 11 o'clock service. That you give Daniel the words you have to speak, Lord. And people, somebody who doesn't know you as the Lord and Savior, Lord, that they would come and make it sure, Lord, before it's eternally too late. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen, amen. <clears throat> you know, I heard someone say one time, I'll close with this thought. We can go to the ball game and we can cheer for our team. We can go to the race and holler for our race car driver. He said, we ought to start cheering for the Lord. Amen. Mm -hmm. uh, did you just that? Wow. Look at that. Great name. Oh my. I think she needs to put the volleyball down and pick up the pen. I can't draw a straight line with a ruler. Oh, that's bad. No, I can't either. I got a roller that won't be straight. The basic doctrines. It goes back to what I've been I've been preaching now for the last three or four years. At every church, there has to be a balance. If, if a church preaches all truth but shows no love, that is legalism. That's kind of a lot of like the old school Baptist churches that some of you come out of. It's a lot of truth, but it's not much love. That's legalism. All right, on the same token, you've got to flip the coin over. There's some churches that want to preach all love but no truth, and that's liberalism. Because they leave out the standards. They just love, 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 love. And there's a lot of churches right now that's running several hundred people because they don't preach any standards. Man, God, you, to be right with God, to walk with God, and to please God, you've got to understand what his words is and be obedient to it. So if you're, it's like you're driving down the road. If you go too far left, you end up in a ditch. If you go too far right, you're going to end up in a ditch either way. And uh, uh, so we have to learn to preach God's word, to live God's word in a spirit of both love and truth. And so as we're going through our doctrines, um, these help build our foundation for when the storm comes, the storms come of life, they don't defeat you. Um, we've all went through storms. Um, I mean, I could sit here and just look at each one of you and tell you, you all have a story.
from Amber losing her mom last year to Mike losing his dad to Robin to almost losing Mike to Jody for almost losing Brian for Manny to lose his son for I mean to be as, see as sick as Miss Verna has been and having to take care of her and everything else and you know everybody's got a, everybody's got issues uh, these young guys they haven't faced some quite yet but you will it's just life um, and so we have to we have to have a firm belief in the Lord that when the bad times come, they come for a reason. They'll teach you a lot. Uh, right behind Nathan, you got them two little mountains we left up for through uh, for VBS. On the mountaintop, you got some beautiful views, right? But not a lot of lessons. The lessons come in the valley, and um, they teach us stuff. So the doctrines are what. So that's why we preach and teach these truths uh, to help you get firm in your faith for when the storm comes, you won't collapse, right? All right, so today we start the, letter, the alphabet all over again, and I've already thought ahead this is going to be quite challenging because I did good to find some with X and Y and Z, so now I've got to do it again, so we'll get creative. But uh, assurance, do you know what you really know? Now, how many times have you um, ever uh, talked to somebody maybe about being right with the Lord or, or where you're going to go after, uh, after you die? How many times have you heard anybody says, well, I hope when my time comes, the Lord will take me home. I've heard so many people say, I hope my good outweighs my bad. Man, that is the biggest lie cooked up in Satan's kitchen I've ever heard. It has nothing to do with that. So a lot of people have a hope-so relationship with God or a hope-so salvation. Man, heck with that. I want to know so. And a lot, some people say, well, can you know for sure? Absolutely you can. Look what uh, John, the, I mean, the one closest to Christ, the one who understood Christ the most, the most we know he wrote the, the Gospel of John. He wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. He wrote Revelation. He said, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. Now, all throughout the New Testament is, is a word called hope. And that hope is not like what we understand. Okay? Let's be honest. I hope it quits raining. Now, we need to rain. But I know we in a Baptist church, man, we ain't gonna have but so many people come out and rain. <laughs> you know, I, I hope I hope we don't get so much rain it just makes everything else a mess as they're working on the wall and they can finish this week. You know, you hope that hope means you got a 50-50 chance. The biblical word for hope, though, it means an assurity. It's a hundred percent chance it's gonna happen. That hope is a firm foundation. You can hope in what the Lord says. So he says here that we can know that you have eternal life. Now, many times in ministry, I've talked to people that says, you know, Pastor, is it normal to doubt my salvation? Yes, I think it's normal. Because sometimes as you grow in the Lord, you, you start questioning, well, did I know what I thought I knew? Or did I understand what I thought, what I thought originally? Well, we're growing and we're seeing things clearly. I know more about the Bible now than I did naturally when I first got saved. I know more about the Bible now than I did three or four years ago. Why? Because we're all students of the Word of God. So that's why I'm so proud of Manny. He knows more. We he bought his car. 
Probably doesn't. <laughs> Yeah, that's and good. I said, oh man, I'm so proud of you. That's good. So, you know, a- absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you, yeah, it's it's a learning process. Uh-huh. You know, I guarantee you, nobody can tell me what I preached three Sundays ago. I can't even tell you what I preached three Sundays ago. Look it up. Yeah. <laughs> Do you really? Hey, that's right. You take good notes. I forgot about that. So Amber's gonna call me on the carpet. All right. Well, shooting straight. I can't tell you what I preached three weeks ago. If I really stopped thought about it, I probably could come up with it. Uh, but it's, it's not even important. But here's what I say. I bet you can't tell me what you ate three weeks ago. Okay. All right. Coming to church and hearing preaching and teaching is the same word as eating. We may not remember. I know I had, I had a steak on the grill. I like my steaks as good as anybody. I had a steak on my grill one day last week, and I think this past week, uh, I had another steak. So I know I've had two steaks within like the last week and a half, which is rare for me. All right? And uh, one was at home, one was eating out. And Austin wanted to split one. Uh, hey, I love a good tomato sandwich. Um, but we can't remember everything we eat. We can't remember everything we hear. But you eat to stay alive, don't you? Sure, you better. We eat spiritually so we can spiritually stay alive. If not, you're a sitting duck uh, for Satan to come and just pick you off one at a time. All right, so we're growing, and that's natural. That's, that's the natural progression of life. I, I look at Austin. I cannot believe he's taller than I am. And now going to the gym and, and trying to get in shape for, you know, when the door opens for him in front of the fire department, he's, he's actually getting uh, quite muscular up top. I went to hug him the other day. I'm like, dang on, you're not, you're not soft anymore. <laughs> and and uh, uh, not soft and squishy anymore. And, um, yes, I still hug my son. And uh, I love my kids, man. Um, so we're growing. That's just a natural progression of life. I remember being at Kendall's first birthday party. I still got a picture on my phone. Her sitting in her little high chair, icing everywhere. Now she comes down the hall and she's catching Jody quick. It's uh, a natural progression of life, right? And uh, so we're to grow spiritually, but doubting is is natural. Doubting is that and is natural. But deep down inside, you've got to know whether you've truly been saved before. And so I've got four little things, and I, I, don't, I, I know I can already tell you we're not going to get through them all this week. But uh, maybe we'll just do two this week and we'll do two next week. Uh, the first off is, is, is confirmation. All right, so many times uh, I've talked to people and said salvation is not a warm, fe- warm fuzzy feeling. The moment we truly get saved, we do feel something. Uh, like I said last Sunday morning, I had an uncle who was who come out of a really bad past, made a lot of bad decisions, was a bad alcoholic, and I'm pretty sure he was with the KKK at one time <laughs> back in the day. So just a bad, just a bad, bad lot of bad choices in life, right? And but the Lord has touched his heart, and I remember telling you I was witnessing to him, man. He was, I mean, he was under such conviction. He just st- tears streaming down his face. He knew he needed to be saved, but he didn't know how. And all I could do was pray with him, pray, pray with him, pray for him, and I left that day. Well, he come back on Christmas Day, 
And before he even got in the house, he said, Preacher, I'm ready. I, I, you know, I need to be saved. And here he is, all kind of health problems, can't hardly walk at all. He bows his head and asks the Lord to save him. And all of a sudden, he starts high-stepping. And he says, I feel clean. So, you know, uh, it's nothing like a nice hot shower after you've been out working and sticky and muddy all day, you know. Uh, you feel physically clean. Well, spiritually, it's clean. So you do have a feeling. Salvation produces a good, clean feeling in you, but the feelings do not produce salvation because we have all kind of feelings. So we base our salvation really not so much on how we feel, but for what God's Word says. And we find that in Romans 10, 9. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and thou shalt believe in thine heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. So, I mean, you've got to, you've got to have that faith. You've got to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. You believe that he died and God raised him from the dead. You've got to have those, and you can be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For Scripture saith, Whosoever believeth him shall not be ashamed. There is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. I like he put that there. The reason he put that there, everybody said, Well, salvation's for the Jews. The Lord said, Look, there's no difference. That's the way God sees. There's no difference between the Jew and the Greek. The word Greek is really Gentile. That means everybody who's not a Jew. So there's no difference the way God looks at people. The, for the same Lord is over all, is rich unto all that call upon him, uh, upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So we don't base our, our salvation experience off of feelings. We base it on facts. And so if you have a, you know, if you really believe with your heart and you believe that Jesus was the Son of God, that God sent him to die for you, he, he paid for your sin dead on the cross, he rose again the third day, and the Bible tells us he's coming back. If you believe those things and you repent from your, from your sins, you will be saved. So that means you can take God at his word. When God says something, he will do it. So a lot of times after, after you know, maybe the Lord allows me to, to lead somebody to the Lord or somebody comes to me wanting the Lord, you know, they say a prayer. Honestly, it's not the prayer that saves them. It's the change of, of, of their heart that saves them. But a lot of times you lead them for a sinner's prayer so they got something to base it on. Hey, Lord, I, I truly ask you to forgive me. And I truly place my faith in you. I truly ask you to come into my life. Okay? So after they say the prayer, I say, hey, let me ask you a question. Did you mean it? Because it's all it's talking about is sincerity. And if they say, yeah, I meant it, I always say, I want you to know that God meant it too. Because God says what he means and means what he says. Okay? You ever had somebody, a parent or grandparent or something, threaten you? You know, if you don't straighten up, I'm going to give you a whooping or something like that. And you keep on doing what you're doing, they don't never whip you. <laughs> Maybe that's a good thing in, in some ways. In some ways, it's bad, too. Um, you ever met somebody that says one thing and does another? They're not genuine. They're not sincere. Well, God's not that way. If God says, you come to me, I'll save you. If you mean it, God said, okay, you're saved. So you base your salvation on facts not feelings. And so God confirms this in his word. All right. The second thing is the communion. That's just simply a daily walk with the Lord, uh, having a personal relationship with them. 
Uh, John 14, 23, Jesus answered and said unto him, If any man love me, I don't know why I feel led. Anybody got any comments on the word on confirmation? Facts, feelings? I mean, y'all have been really unusually quiet today. I sure, please. <laughs> I, that's what I love about Sunday school is, is, is time to talk and think it out. That's Billy, how we learn. Billy brought to my attention yesterday, he said he just hoped Josiah didn't ask the Lord to save him because somebody else did. Mm-hmm. And I said, yeah. I said, when, some, when a child's that young, I said, you know, a possibility. But I told him, I said, well, I said, children have faith. Mm-hmm. And if he asked Jesus to come into his heart, I said, the Lord's going to do a work on him. Yeah. I said, but he also, he's going to need somebody to work with him too. Yeah. I said, because he is so young, I said, it's a lot he don't understand. I said, because, so you're going to have to show him some stuff and talk with him. Yes. You know, I said, but I feel like if he opened up his heart, he opened that door that Jesus is going to do a work in. Yep. The Holy Spirit is going to work on us. Childlike faith. The Lord said, "You've got to have childlike faith to come into me, because we're old, we're, we're crusty and crabby. <laughs> we know, we've been let down too many times. We've been lied to too many times." And the Lord said, "You've got to have childlike faith." I remember when we first bought my house. Um, for whatever reason, there were two decks on the back of the house. There was a, a like a ten by ten up there at my back door, coming out of our dining room, uh, and then there was like a little bitty door coming out of our utility room. Well, they were both kind of aged, and I said, man, I'm going to tear this down. I'm just going to be one nice big deck. And so I did that, and Austin, when we moved there, was three. So he may have been three and a half, maybe four. And down the end, what I was working on was about four foot off the, off the ground. And I remember when he was a little boy come toddling out there, no handrails. I said, run and jump, and I'll catch you. Man, he ran off and just sailed. And I caught him, right? Two years later... I put him up a swing set that's got a little parallel bars. He's only two feet off the air. I said, jump, I'll catch you. He wouldn't do it. <laughs> In that two years, he had developed fears. He had developed, you know, he didn't have the faith that he did it younger. So the Bible says we have to have childlike faith. All right, did he truly get saved? It's a good chance he did. Okay, but let me tell you something. I think I may have even told Brian and Jody this. When they're young, as they get older, they will question that. Because like I said before, they will say, well, did I understand, did I truly understand what I thought I did? Or do I truly, that is completely healthy. That is actually a good thing. Um, So, um, both of my kids did the same thing. Austin has always been way mature for his age. Even at five, Austin could understand things that most eight, nine-year-olds couldn't understand. Cameron is the exact opposite. Cameron's immature for her age, which I'm fine with because she'll be an adult long enough. Let her be a kid, right? <laughs> All right. But both of my kids made a profession in the Lord at an early age and started having doubts. Or did I understand it? Did I? I mean, it's completely natural. I never once told my kids, well, you're saved. You've prayed a prayer. I said, man, if you, if you don't know for sure, and, you know, the Lord was dealing with them. And so both of my kids made a, you know, Truly, I believe, you know, made sure it's completely healthy. And, uh, but to me, Kendall and Josiah and JJ and, and all of them at this age, understanding that, 
the Lord's laying that foundation. Are they saved? Probably so, yes. I would say yes. But as they get older and they question it, that is perfectly, to me, that's a great thing. Because then they've got the foundation laid. Then they can start building on that foundation and they'll go deeper with their walk with Christ. Because that's what we need today. So you said he'll need somebody to show him. That's why, to me, the greatest thing any parent or any grandparent can do is keep their kids in church. A good Bible preaching church. Not a church that runs a thousand people and have a rock concert every week. <laughs> a church that preaches the Bible. Because it goes back to the, what the world's starving for now is truth. And uh, so they do. They do. Discipleship. That's why y'all are here this morning, to learn more, to grow closer. And ain't nary one of us got it all down. We will still learn. We'll learn to the day they put us in the ground, right? So, good thought. I did the same thing growing up. I think I had an evangelist came to our church when I was like five, six years old. And her, his um, wife would take the kids across the way and would have class. And I don't, I don't guess I didn't know for sure, fully understand. I just kind of was going along with it until I got saved when I was about that age. And so and by the time I was 10, 11 years old, I started questioning it. Mm-hmm. And then I was about 13 years old and I went to a camp. And he was preaching that morning or that, that in the evening at camp. And that's when I truly got saved was that day. Yeah. I had the same thing when I was younger, just yep. questioning it. And, then, and really the same thing for me, too. I made a profession at a younger age, but at 13, I'm like, ah, I'll make sure I got this right. Um, but, and it goes back, you don't have to remember the time. You don't have to remember the place, the month, the year, and all that. But you got to remember it. I always said, y'all, y'all heard this before, you may not remember your first birth. In fact, you won't remember your first birth, but you'll never forget the second one. And uh, it, it's vitally important. The Lord has done so much for Manny and I mm-hmm. as far as uh, being saved. Our, our, our home life, our marriage, everything, he's, it's, just, it's just wonderful. Yeah. And I just thank the Lord. Well, I don't do a lot of counseling. It's just I, mm-hmm. true counsel. I can I can tell you what God's word says, but I'm not going to counsel. But everybody who gets married, I'll tell them. You know, when we meet before the if you two, if it's just you two in the marriage, y'all going to struggle. I said, but if you get that third person, you get that Lord in there, it'll be fine. Everything, everything, everything. You make the Lord your centerpiece. Um, you make the Lord your centerpiece. I mean, me and Amanda just celebrated 24 <clears throat> years this past week, and. Uh, I mean, hey, the Lord, we got, I, I was 20, she was 21, and we, we always put the Lord in our marriage, and it, it worked, it's been, been wonderful. Um, but we have a no-so salvation. Is it healthy to doubt? Sure it is. Uh, is there something wrong with uh, making sure and, and, and giving your, you know, praying a prayer again? No, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. You better know. Amen. You better know that you know. You know you're married. At least I hope you do, right? <laughs> if you don't, Mike, you're in trouble, man. That's right. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, same thing. You got to know for sure. Uh, so we have a no-so salvation. Uh, then the second thing that we see is the communion. Um, that's the fellowship. That's why y'all like spending time with each other. Um, you know, who don't like spending time with their spouse? 
if, if you don't, something might be a little bit wrong right there, right? So communion, look what Jesus said. And uh, he answered, said unto them in verse 23, if, if a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. That is awesome when we understand the God of the universe lives inside of us. Not God himself, but the Holy Spirit, which is still God. I mean, I, yes, that's still one of the most amazing things is the Trinity. God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They're three different entities, but they comprise one, you know, the body, the Godhead of Christ. That's like us. We're three parts, body, soul, and spirit, right? But Jesus says, hey, if you love me, keep my words. My Father will love it. We will come to you and make our abode with him. He that loveth me not, uh, loveth me not, keepeth not my sayings, and the words which you hear is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. These things have I spoken unto you, yet being present with you. But the Comforter, that's the Holy Spirit, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You know how... I know truly that I'm saved is because I've got the Holy Spirit living inside of me. And um, we'll talk about it next week. We'll talk about conviction next week. Luke's not here, so uh, the bell won't ring. So we're about out of time. But the Lord lives inside of me. When I read his word, it comes alive. I understand it. I'm still learning every day. There's so many passages I've read and I didn't get anything out of. Well, maybe the next time I read it, it'll come to life and jump out at me. Uh, when you sin, you have that conviction. We'll talk about that next week. You're like, uh-oh, you shouldn't have done that or you shouldn't have said that. You know, that's when you got to get things right. Uh, but that's the, com the, the, the communion with God or the communication with God, however you want to say it. Uh, we speak to him and he speaks to us. So that's another reason. Um, I know I'm saying it's the fellowship. I saw somebody, and I'll close with this talk. I, thought, I saw somebody put on Facebook the other day. No, maybe it's Twitter because I really don't like Facebook. Uh, I do like I do like Twitter because you can choose who you follow. It said it's just natural for a drunk to want to go to a bar, right? Well, it's his nature. Well, the nature of a Christian is you should want to go to church. It's the same thing. It's that fellowship. It's that. It's that. Uh, even before I answered the call to preach. I hated missing church. It's like the whole week <laughs> didn't started off wrong and got worse. Why? Because we 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 have fellowship, we have communication, we have communion with each other. So that's another reason you know you say you got the Holy Spirit living inside of you. So that's two of the four. Any comments, criticisms, snide remarks? Alrighty. Dave closes in prayer book. Lord, I want to thank you for uh, bringing us here this Sunday morning safely through all the rain and storms, Lord. We want to thank you for this rain that you've given us. Uh, the land need, always needs it. Lord, I want to thank you for this message that Daniel's given us. Um, let us uh, put into our lives and let us uh, think about it and remember it. And uh, let us uh, have a good service and a great baptism, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay. So. How do you know you're saved? Well, first of all, it's the confirmation. And simply put, God means what he says and says what he means. 
If you come to the Lord by faith and you place your faith in him, you repent and you ask forgiveness of your sins and you place your faith in him, God will save you. So I base my salvation on not a feeling, but the facts of what God's word says. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thy heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. It doesn't say you might or you may. With the heart man believeth in the righteous. With the mouth confession is made unto salvation. The scripture saith, Whosoever believeth in him shall not be ashamed. That word ashamed, though, is not the way we think of shamed. Um, um, I, I mean, we've, done, we've all done something in our life that we've been ashamed of, or we've said something we were ashamed of. If you haven't, I'd like to meet you. <laughs> uh, we've all got skeletons in our closet somewhere. We've all got something in our past that, we, we're, that well, because you're human. And I've learned this a long time ago. We're all failed in one way or another. But the word is, uh, yeah, uh, the, wor- the, the word ashamed here is we will not be disappointed. That's what the word says. We will not be let down. God's not going to let us down. So whosoever believeth on him shall not be really disappointed. Um, there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. The same Lord is, is over all, is rich to all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, we talked about last week briefly, it is completely natural sometimes to doubt your salvation. I know I've got a couple of great friends of mine who's went through this. Um, and um, really, they, they, they just really had a lot of fears and a lot of doubts. And um, I'll be honest with you because I know he won't mind me sharing this because he'll be honest was actually Pastor John was one that went through this. And Pastor John talked to me, and he talked with Brother Allen and all this. And I think where John's come from is he was raised in a holiness church, a little bit different church. They had a few doctrinal differences, not, not nothing really hugely major. Uh, but still, John, uh, before he surrendered to preach, um, struggled with this a little bit. Hey, do I? And one of the things that, that I think that I know that I don't know what all Allen shared with him, but I know what I share with him is, you can take God at his word. Now, man, nowadays, if you got a business deal, you better have it written up in a contract. You better have it signed and probably even notarized because that's the way the world is nowadays. But you can, you can take God in his word. He said, if you simply believe, you simply trust, you simply come to me, and I'll save you. And uh, one of the things we know we're saved is from the Holy Spirit. So that leads us in the second part. We know we're saved, number one, because God said so, the confirmation. Number two, the communion. We see the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and the Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. Now, that's one part of the Trinity that lives inside of us. It's not God the Father. It's not God the Son. It is God the Holy Spirit. He lives within us. He that loveth me... Uh, not, he keepeth not my sayings, and the word which ye hear is not mine, but the Father which sent me. These things have I spoken to you, yet being present with you. But the Comforter, that is the Holy Spirit, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things, and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, Neither let it be afraid. 
it's amazing to understand we've got the Holy Spirit living inside of us. So um, there's the communion of the Holy Spirit. Um, we have to hold, have the Holy Spirit in our lives. If not, we'll make a mess of things. We'll go back to the old way of life if we're not careful, if it don't for the Holy Spirit. When you read God's Word, it's the Holy Spirit that talks to you, that teaches you, that directs you. Um, and so you know He's there, um, and thank goodness He's there, right? So the, the confirmation, because God said so, the communion, the Holy Spirit we know lives inside of us. And one reason you know he lives inside of you brings us to the third point. This is where we stopped last week. We stopped at the end of point two. Is conviction. How do you know you're truly saved? Is when you say something or do something you ain't got no business, immediately you feel guilty. And that is a beautiful thing too, by the way, is being um, uh, convicted. Um, oh, Lord. Now, this is David. This is David prayer after he made a mess of things with his life um, remember great man mighty warrior he stayed home from battle one day he's walking around on the top of the palace he sees Bathsheba bathing herself he lusts he takes her he lies with her he has her husband killed uh, she's pregnant so David a man after God's own heart all of a sudden, this conviction hits him, and man, just, just think about these words as you read them. Psalms 38, 1, O Lord, rebuke me not in thy wrath, neither chasten me in thy hot displeasure. For thine arrows stick fast in me, and thy hand presseth me sore. So, I mean, he's under deep conviction, man. <laughs> thine arrows stick fast. I, I think that's his mental, the mental anguish. Thy hand presseth me sore. There is no soundness in my flesh because of thine anger. Neither is there any rest in my bones because of my sin. Mine iniquities are gone over my head as a heavy burden. They are too heavy for me. He's drowning in shame. He's drowning in guilt. I mean, as you read this, I mean, his sins are over his head. In other words, hey, I'm in the deep end. I've made a mess of things. Those burdens, there's no soundness in my flesh. My, my bones, I mean, my wounds stink and are corrupt because of my foolishness. I am troubled. I am bowed down greatly. I go mourning all the day long. For my loins are filled with a loathsome disease. There is no soundness in my flesh. A lot of people who have studied this believe that literally David got a sexually transmitted disease. So when he says, my loins are filled with this disease, he, he, he caught a uh, STD. I mean, he was really not so, he was physically sick, physically diseased, because sin comes with a price. It comes with a consequence. Um, but yet, emotionally, he's even worse off. Um, I am feeble and sore broken, verse 8 says. I have roared by reason of the disquietness of my heart. Lord, all my desire is before thee. My groaning is not hid from thee. My heart panteth, my strength faileth me. For as the light of mine eyes, it is also gone from me. And uh, the conviction of the Holy Spirit, again, is a, is a beautiful thing. Because it tells us, hey, you've done something you shouldn't do. And, okay, you're going to make a mess of things if you keep going this direction. 
Um, sometimes you say something and all of a sudden you're like, man, I should not have said that. I think we've all done that, right? We've, we've, we've done other things. It just makes us, again, feel guilty. Again, all, thank goodness First John 1, 9 is in there. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But one of the one of the reasons I know that I'm saved is conviction. Is when I when I I, I do do wrong. <laughs> um, I knew I was my father's son. Why? Because he corrected me. Um, I know I'm God's son because again he corrects me. Um, now y'all jump in if y'all got any questions or, or, or comments. But um, I had something in my mind right before I said that and it, it left. Man, that's bad. I hate that. Oh, I had a lady one time tell me, she said, you know, when you're saved, you can sin, and, but, but, but you won't have to suffer the consequences. Wow, where did you get that one? <laughs> um, all right. When we get saved... We are declared righteous. We won't get that at this Sunday. We'll get to that next Sunday in the Asian series, the A-T-I-O-N words we're going to start this morning. Um, when we're saved, we're declared righteous. All our sins have been forgiven. Well, all of our sins was after Jesus was born and died anyway, so he saves us from all sins. But still, you have the consequences of your sin. Look at David. David was a man after God's own heart, made a mess of things. Apparently, he probably got a sexually transmitted disease. Um, his child that was conceived in that sin uh, died. Uh, and then if you look the rest of David's life, it was misery. Uh, his sons turned against him. One literally chased him from his kingdom. Um, uh, one of his sons... Uh, uh, one of his nephews, I think, raped his daughter. The other son killed him. I mean, it was just a mess. I mean, David never had peace in his life. So when we sin, I think if we're quick to acknowledge that and ask forgiveness, yeah, I think God is merciful and gracious. But remember, David didn't do that. David hid his sin. It took Samuel confronting him before he admitted it and asked for forgiveness. Uh, so, but his life changed after he did that, right? <clears throat> it changed for the good. Yeah, it, did, it, it did. It changed for the good. It it did. It changed. Yes, absolutely. Things weren't happening like they were before he when he was high. Yeah, but still, some of the consequences no. came on. Yeah, yeah. yeah, some of the consequences still came later. Um, I've heard of stories about, and, and I'm sure y'all probably even know somebody who lived a really rough life, maybe uh, drugs, alcohol, fighting, you know, all this stuff. You knew somebody like that, but got saved and really got on fire for the Lord and did a good work for the Lord, but the damage was done to their body. I remember a guy worked at Tune and Toler years ago, and he said he was a horrible drug addict. And he got saved and got on fire for the Lord and just really was doing a good work doing a, and ministry. But he died at an early age because the abuse to his body had already been done. Um, so uh, when we do sin and that Holy Spirit does speak to us, I believe if we're quick to repent and ask for forgiveness from the Lord, and if you've wronged somebody, ask forgiveness from them, 
you know, you save yourself a lot of, a lot of headache and a lot of heartache. Um, but the conviction of the Holy Spirit is a, is a great thing. Yeah, sure. Yeah, we need that. Sure. Leprosy. All right, leprosy in the Bible, you know, we all heard about it in Sunday school. You know, it's when, you, when your joints dry up and finally gangrene sets in and your, your limbs fall off, literally. That's, that's a disease called Hansen's disease. You don't really hear of it nowadays. But what happens, as they said, is that it, it starts killing the nerve endings in your extremities. All right? When you touch a hot pot you're not I mean you got any grain of sense you're not gonna hold on to that long right I get up sometimes oh, I get up way before anybody else does on Sunday morning at my house I try to let everybody sleep as late as they can because most everybody has to get up really early during the week where I, I don't have to some days uh, so I let everybody sleep as, as much as they can so I get up and most Sunday mornings I'll pop cinnamon rolls in the oven um, we're helping keep Pillsbury in, uh, in, in business. So I'll pop cinnamon rolls in the oven. I put a pot of coffee on let them cook. Then I'll wake everybody up and we'll have breakfast. And then I come to church before they do. Well, I done popped the cinnamon rolls in the oven and I grabbed the wrong pot holder this morning. I grabbed the old pot holder, which is at the top is frayed. I didn't realize where I grabbed it. I reached in to grab that pan. And when I did, I realized I grabbed the wrong edge of that pot holder. I, it didn't take me long to sit that pan down. But that was actually a good thing. Because had I not felt that, I would have held on to that hot pot until I had literally burned and blistered to death. And they said that's what Hansen's disease would be. Literally, um, y'all know, y'all, I know y'all all know people with diabetic neuropathy where they don't have any feelings in their feet. I've heard of people stepping on nails and not even knowing it. And then the next thing you know, tetanus and all that infection sets in, and the next thing you know, they got to have their foot amputated. They didn't feel it. Had they felt it, they could have went and got it treated and saved their foot. Well, the same thing that works, that's why God gives us nerve endings, is so we won't hurt ourselves. The Holy Spirit does the same thing. Like Teresa said, this is what made me think about it. The Holy Spirit reminds us, hey, that is hurtful. All right, don't do it no more because you're spiritually damaging yourself. That's, that's a great point. So I know I'm saved for the confirmation. What God's word said, he, you can, he says what he means and means what he says. Communion, that's the Holy Spirit living inside of me, teaching me, directing me, guiding me. There's a conviction. And then lastly, the communication. Um, someone read uh, John 10, 27 through verse 30. My sheep are my voice and I know them. Communication, the line of communication has to be open. And I, and I, love, um, I love these next four points. These are questions we can ask ourselves. Number one, do you hear him clearly? It says, my sheep hear my voice. Of course, one of the pictures of Jesus is he's the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for his sheep, right? So my sheep hear my voice. Now, 
If any of you say that I hear God's audible voice, just like I'm talking now, I would worry about you a little bit. <laughs> but God does speak in such a way sometimes that it was, it's just as clear as if it was audible. Um, I'll use Jody for an example. That day, that month, that Sunday that Brian got so bad, and they weren't letting anybody in. Well, I just had the thought, most of the time they'll let preachers in if they won't let nobody else. So Jody called and they said, yeah, they'll let you in. So Jody met me, we snuck her in too. <laughs> and, but things had gotten so bad within the last, what, 18, 20 hours. Uh, man, it was just, it was just chaos because everything got bad, so bad so quick. And his loved ones were recommending this and that and the others, like nobody knew what to do. But all of a sudden, talking to the doctors, the Lord, you can ask them, just gave us such a peace. In other words, I didn't hear it like this, but I expect Jody can say it. It felt like a God said, just relax, I've got this. And it was a peace that overcomes you. Um, things that the Lord tells us, we didn't hear it audibly, but you know the Holy Spirit was just laying that on your heart. That's when you first get saved. That's the Holy Spirit saying, yeah, you're wrong. It, you know, you are guilty. And just come to me and I'll take care of all of that. You know, you can't hear it audibly, but you know he's speaking to you. So do you hear him clearly? And again, that's the conviction of the Holy Spirit. You shouldn't have done that. You shouldn't have said that. He speaks to you. Uh, so do, do you hear him clearly? Number two, do you seek him closely? So my sheep hear my voice and I know them. This talks about the intimate relationship between people, um, a real knowledge of one another. Uh, even though Cameron said her and Nathan's not on speaking terms today, I don't really believe that. But they've been they've been married uh, less than anybody. They're they're still learning each other. I expect. <laughs> um, and how do you learn each other by communication? They're getting to know uh, each other intimately. I promise you they have learned more things about each other in the last eight months than they ever knew while they were dating. Why? Because now you're, you're sharing a house. You're sharing a, a bedroom. You're sharing uh, everything with each other. Uh, and so the Lord, you know, it's, it's an intimate relationship. Um, I love the Lord and I understand more about the Lord I do now 31 years after being saved than I did at first. I realize how terrible that I am apart from the grace of God. I realize how great and loving and merciful He is now. So it's, 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 it's learning them. So do you, do you hear Him clearly? Do you seek Him closely? We should have the desire to know God. Now, I believe all of you do. Why? Because you wouldn't have got up early and, and came to church early and heard his word, okay? Man, if he hears the Holy Spirit speaking to him all the time. He said, that's the Holy Spirit speaking. That's good. That's good. That's good. Oh, and by the way, not when the Holy Spirit, it's not always bad. The Holy Spirit convicts when we do wrong, but he also leads and guides when we do right. So the Holy Spirit, you know, today we're going to take up our little offering um, for our wall project. 
And, you know, I was asking the Lord, you know, what would you have me and my family to give? And I just, I come up with a figure. You know, I, th- I hope that was him, right? <laughs> um, so some things he speaks to us when we do wrong, but he speaks to us when he wants us to do right too. Um, so do you seek him closely? Um, thirdly, do you follow him carefully? And they follow me. Um, when I worked at White Buick, I was hourly because I was young. I was the low man on the totem pole then. I was 18 years old when I went to work for White Buick, I think. Either 18 or 19, I forget. Um, and uh, I think it was 18. Anyway, since I was a low man on the totem pole, uh, I did a little bit of everything from turning wrenches. I did a ton of front-end alignments. But I was also the gopher. Go get this part down the road or go take this customer home or, or, or go with one of another, the salesman to deliver one of these customers' cars. Because back in the day, Buicks, every old person in Forest Hills drove a Buick. Uh, <laughs> it's, just, it's just true. Uh, that was the fancy cars for the old people, man. That was the, they didn't want a Cadillac. They wanted a Buick because they didn't land in white, which was a good man too, by the way. But so these old people didn't feel like getting out in, in the heat of the day or the, uh, the cold of the winter and coming and getting their cars. And they probably paid sticker price for the car and just wrote them a check or handing them cash like it won't nothing. So they wanted us to bring their car to them. So, okay, whatever. And I remember driving the customer's car home and so one of the salesmen or, or maybe one of the car wash guys or something would follow me and we'd drop the car off and they'd bring me back to work. Well, I learned if I was following somebody, I had to follow them careful. Because if you've ever been over in the Forest Hills, it is the most confusing community on planet Earth. Because every other road is either Hawthorne or Linden. It's just like a bowl of spaghetti noodles. I mean, one road goes, and all the roads are either Hawthorne or Linden. So I got over there, and I realized I need to follow them carefully, because if not, I'm going to end up lost. And one day, one day, literally, we did get lost. We spent an hour over there riding in circles looking for one house. <clears throat> well, I was careful in my in watching who was ahead of me. Well, we've got to be carefully looking to the Lord and learning about the Lord and loving the Lord. We need to be purposeful in what we do. So we need to be following him carefully. And then lastly, do you trust him confidently? I give unto them eternal life. They shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my hand. I and my Father are one. This kind of goes back to what we, what we started with. God says what he means and means what he says. Alan, throw me your glass case right there, boy. Throw me a piece of your glass case. Thank you, man. One of, the, one of the greatest illustrations I ever heard, they said, okay, we're lost, and here's God in the hand. When we get saved, literally what we do, we crawl up in God's hand, and it says, I give them eternal life, and eternal means forever. And if, he would, if he would have said temporary, he would have, meant temp- he would have said it. I give them eternal life. They shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave me is greater than all. No man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. So when there's some people who don't believe in eternal security, believe they can lose their salvation, this right here is one of, the, one of the greater passages that says, hey, we get in God's hand. No man can pull you out of, out of God's hand. 
And some people say, well, what about Satan? Well, if Satan got in God's hand, he would be a saved devil. <laughs> of course, in other words, no man's going to take that. And so when it comes to confidently, good job, dude. When it says confidently, we, we can trust that God says what he means and means what he says. And it also gives us a lot of peace that he's given us eternal life. He's given us everything we need through, his, through both of his words. His inspired word, which is the Bible, and the incarnate word, which is Jesus Christ. So, again, we have many feelings in life. But we have to base our walk with Christ on the facts of what he said. And he can be trusted. Any comments? Questions? Yeah, man. What did you say uh, a good point on salvation? Born again, you cannot be unborn. That's right. Saved. Yep, absolutely. Yep. Um, when you're born, you're truly, saved. you're truly saved. And that's what it basically boils down to. I mean, it's just like we're born. Okay, can any of us be unborn? No. You say, well, somebody could kill you. Well, that's murder. I mean, you weren't unborn. So when you're born again, gives us life. Another passage, too, where at the, you know, it says, um, at the, when, when people said, you know, Lord, Lord, didn't we do this for you? Lord, Lord, we prophesied in our name. Lord, we did this for you. He said, depart from me. I never knew you. Not I, I knew you before. Or I don't know you anymore. No. Yeah, exactly. It would he said, be three different judgments. Yeah, it would. Yep. So he says, I never knew you. So the thing is, a lot of people say, well, can you lose your salvation? And the answer to that is no. But did the person ever have it to begin with? Just like the person said, hey, my, I'm saved because my grandpa started a church. Okay? <laughs> you know, that means absolutely nothing. Once you come into the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, you get a head, somebody's got a head knowledge. It didn't go to the heart. Yeah. So once you come to the uh, saving knowledge, there remains no more sacrifice for sin because you go in with your eyes wide open. Eyes wide open, that's right. And I think a lot of people, and Adam really touched on it, a lot of people know of God up here. That don't count. you got to know him right here. you got to know him in your heart. And I've heard people say before, how far is heaven and hell away from each other? And I've heard some people say about 18 inches. That's the difference between your brain and your heart. But when you're truly born again, it starts with the heart. It's from the inside out. Where a lot of people are trying to change from the outside in. It'd be the same thing as I'm going to turn over a new leaf and I'm going to be a better me. Nah, you can't do it. You don't have the power. <laughs> um, again, it goes back to all the other religions that teach that you can contribute to your salvation. And y'all have heard me say recently, the only thing you and I attributed to our salvation was the sin that needed to be forgiven. Christ did it all for us. And, um, but praise God, he says we can know that you have eternal life. My grandson, Cole, he's really smart, and he asks lots of questions. So much that his mother called me and she's like, I'm going crazy over here. She, he's been asking her so many questions and of course she, she don't know the answers herself. Anyway, so he asked me yesterday, he's like, 
So God created everything. Who created God? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like, um, and then of course my husband, he's no doubt at all. He's like, I'm with you, Cole. Somebody <laughs> had to create God. Nope. He's eternal. Daniel, please come on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're not helping me. God is God is self-existent. He needs nobody. In God is life. Over in John, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, he is self-existent. All of us cannot wrap our little pea brains around that because we were existent on our mom and dads. God has life even in himself. He never had a beginning, nor will he have an end. He was self-existent. God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit are eternal. They never had a beginning and they never have an end. That's where the Jehovah's Witnesses and most religions get it wrong. They said God created Jesus. He, he was created. No, he wasn't. Jesus is God. Well, that's what I told him. I said he wasn't created. I, I said he always was. Yep. Like, I yeah. am. He always was and he always will be. Well, remember, remember when uh, Moses, he said, go to Pharaoh and deliver my children to Israel? Moses says, well, who do I tell them sent me? He said, I am that I am. I love that term. I am. I didn't say I was or I used to be or I will be. Hey, I am. That's the self-existent part of God that makes him God. Where one of the biggest problems of the human race is we try to figure out God. We try to put him in a box. We try to bring him down on our level. Can't do that. He's the creator, and we're the mere creation. But he's thinking, and that's good. I mean, you got to start somewhere. Yeah, I explained to him about being a spirit, and the only way I could really explain about being a spirit to him was I gave him the example of the wind. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, he's, he's always, he's always turning. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean. More so than, than a lot of kids, and I'm like. Hey, kids are a lot smarter than what you, we give them credit for. Yep, absolutely. But I told Daniel, I said, you need to stay out of this. Yeah, he said, Daniel, you need to learn yourself, man. Your Self-existent. All right. Well, I appreciate, uh, glad, glad having some of JR's class moving into. I'm going to get Jason to close us in prayer. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for this time that you've given us, Lord, to gather together to worship, Lord, the freedom that we have in this country to worship you, Lord, and just the assurance.